Welcome back to our study of the doctrine of the Trinity. We saw last time that before we can really begin talking about the Father being God and the Son being God and the Spirit being God, that we need to have a firm foundation in our minds and hearts of monotheism. That's a word meaning one God. Mono means one, theism has to do with God. And so we saw last time that the Bible is very clear in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that there is only one God. And so we are only to worship one God. And so having laid that foundation last time, now we can begin to talk about the Son being God. Was there anything that Jesus said or that Jesus did that would lead us to understand and recognize that Jesus is actually the Son of God in the flesh. Yes, absolutely there are things that Jesus said and things that Jesus did that point us to the truth, sometimes quite plainly, that Jesus is himself God in the flesh that he as the son is fully divine even while he is also truly man in his incarnation, right? In his taking on of flesh and being born as a man. So what we're going to do this time in this session is we are going to look at some things that Jesus said and some things that Jesus did that show us that the son is God. And so let's begin by looking at some things that Jesus said. Sometimes uh, somebody might ask, you know, people worship Jesus as God. People talk about Jesus being God. Did Jesus actually say he was God? Did he ever claim to be God? Well, let's look at some things that Jesus said. Well, well let's start in John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath. And John tells us this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. This is John 5, beginning in verse 16. They were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them. Notice this. My father is working until now, and I am working. John explains this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. In other words, when Jesus said, paraphrasing here, I can work on the Sabbath because my father is working on the Sabbath, and so I can work on the Sabbath. He's claiming, and the Jews recognize this, he's claiming to be equal with God. He's claiming to be divine. Later in John chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, Jesus says this. He says, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. And that's Jesus. Why has God given all judgment to the Son? That, he says, all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So Jesus not only claimed to be equal with God, my Father is working until now and I am working, but he also says that the Father has given him 
all judgment. So Jesus is the Son is going to judge. The Father has handed all judgment over to the Son. And he says the Father has done this so that people will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Now, who is worthy of being honored like the Father? Only someone who is also God, also fully divine. That's what Jesus is claiming. And he even goes so far as to say, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. So you can't even worship or honor the Father without also honoring the Son. That is a strong claim to deity. Jesus also said about himself that he is God. He's the God who revealed himself to Moses. He's the God of the Old Testament. In John 8, 58 and 59, it says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And then John tells us, So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now, Jesus did not merely say, before Abraham was, I was. That would just mean that Jesus was really old or that he had existed before Abraham. But he doesn't say that. He says, before Abraham was, I am. And when he says, I am, what he is telling us is, he's the God who met Moses in the wilderness, who spoke to Moses from the burning bush. When Moses said, who am I supposed to tell the people? Who am I supposed to tell them is sending me? What what God is sending me to them? What, What name do I give them? And God says to Moses, say to them, I am. I am has sent me to you. So I'm paraphrasing there, right? But the name there is clear. I am. That's God's name that he gives to Moses. And Jesus says, that's who he is. Jesus says, I am. I am the God of the Old Testament in the flesh. I not only existed before Abraham existed, I have always existed and always will exist. That's what it means for God to be the I am. So did Jesus claim to be God? Yes, he said he is the I am. Did Jesus claim to be equal with God? Yes, that's what he meant when he said, my father is working until now and I am working. Did Jesus claim to have the right to do things that only God can do? Yes, he claims that the father has given him all authority to judge. Did Jesus claim that he should be honored like the father? Yes. That's why he says the Father has given him the authority to judge. It's so that all would honor him as they honor the Father. Let's keep going. He also says that he is one with the Father. Notice this. This is from John 10, verses 28 to 30. Jesus says, he's talking about his sheep, those who believe in him, those who follow him. He says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, 
is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Okay, so which one is it? Are they in Jesus' hand, or are they in the Father's hand? Well, notice what Jesus says next. I and the Father are one. So it's not a question of, are you in Jesus' hands, or are you in God's hands? Because Jesus is God. We are in Jesus' hands, which means we're in the Son's hands. We're also in the Father's hands, Jesus tells us. And then he says, I and the Father are one. To be in Jesus' hands is to be in God's hands. We are in the hands of the one God. We're in the hand of the Father, and we're in the hand of the Son. They are distinct Right? The Son is not the Father, and the Father is not the Son, but they are one. One God. All right. Next, in John 17, when Jesus is praying before he goes to the cross, this is what we often call Jesus' high priestly prayer. In John 17, 5, he, he prays this. He says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. In other words, before all of creation, I was with you. I was in your presence with glory, right? That's what I want again. Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. So before God created anything, there was the Father and the Son. Jesus himself says, I was with the Father in glory before the world was created. How? He's God. Before he took on flesh, before he was born of the Virgin, he eternally existed as the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. Uh, Jesus also says as he's uh, approaching his crucifixion in Matthew 26, 63-64, It says this, Jesus remained silent. This is when he's uh, on trial, right? Jesus remained silent. And it says, the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you from now on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. What is Jesus claiming? Very soon, you are going to see me seated at God's right hand. What is that? That is a position of authority, a position of privilege, a position that belongs to God the Son. And all of the, we can say all of those things, and we haven't even mentioned the fact that Jesus predicted his death and resurrection before they happened which also points to the truth that Jesus is God in the flesh. So Jesus said many things, many, many things that point to the truth that he is God in the flesh, that the Son of God is truly, fully divine. And he also did things that show us that he is God in the flesh. For example, Jesus had authority over disease, over demons, 
and even over death. If we look at Matthew chapter 8 and chapter 9, we see all of these things. In the beginning of chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, Jesus cleanses a leper. In verse uh, 16 of chapter 8, it says, That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. So he has authority over disease to heal people. He has authority over demons. Later in Matthew chapter 8, he cast out demons into a herd of pigs. And the demons recognize his authority over them. Jesus also has authority over death. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 to 26, he raises a man's daughter to life who had had just died, and Jesus raises her from the dead. So he has authority over disease. He has authority over demons. He has authority over death. Who has that kind of authority? God does. He also had authority over creation. He had authority over the wind and over the sea. In Matthew chapter 8 still, verses 25 to 27, it says this is one of the... uh, occasions where we're told about Jesus calming a storm, right? So he's on a boat with his disciples and there's a storm. And it says, they went and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea and there was a great calm. And the men marveled saying, what sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? How do you answer that question? Matthew wants us to answer that question as well. What sort of man is Jesus that even the wind and the sea obey him? God man. God in the flesh. That's what kind of man he is. He is the eternal son of God come to dwell among us, taking on flesh, born of a virgin, born as a man, born of woman. That's who he is. That's why he has authority over creation. Not only the wind and the sea, but he has authority over water. Remember at the wedding at Cana, he turned the water into wine. And in the feeding of the 5,000, right, he multiplies bread and fish. He has authority, power over creation like only God does. Authority over demons like only God does. Authority over disease like only God does. Authority over death like only God does. And finally, he had authority to forgive sins like only God does. Remember this story? This is from Mark chapter 2. It says, Many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he, Jesus, was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now that ought to get our attention because we don't expect this man to be coming to receive forgiveness. We expect him to be coming to receive healing. He's paralyzed. But Jesus does not address the fact that he's paralyzed. He addresses the problem of sin. And he says his sins are forgiven. Now notice this. It says, Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's the question. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The answer is, of course, 
nobody. Yet Jesus has just pronounced this man forgiven. Why did he do that? He's telling us that he is God in the flesh. Notice what happens next. It says, And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they were thus that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? Which one of those is easier? Well, it's easier, of course, to say your sins are forgiven. Because who can really see and tell and know if you've forgiven somebody's sins? You can't see that. I I can't see if God has forgiven your sin. But if somebody says to somebody who's paralyzed, rise, get up, and go home, you can tell pretty quickly whether or not that person is healed. Right? So Jesus has said, your sins are forgiven, but how can we know if this man's sins have been forgiven or not? Well, here's what Jesus says next. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Jesus did it that way, right? saying the easier thing to say, first, easier to say your sins are forgiven, than to say to a paralytic, rise, go home. He did it that way so that when he said, rise, take up your bed and go home, and the man rose and went, they would know, they would see, they would understand that he has authority to forgive sins, an authority that belongs to God alone. And he has that authority because he is God. So Jesus claimed he was equal with God. He said that he is the I am. He did things that only God could do. And how did people respond? Well, some thought he was blaspheming. Some thought he wasn't God. And so by claiming to be God, he was blaspheming and they wanted to kill him. But some believed that classic and perhaps most dramatic example is that of Thomas, who after Jesus rose from the dead, had heard others say that they had seen Jesus risen. But Thomas would not believe it until he saw Jesus with his own eyes and was able to touch him and touch the places where Jesus had been pierced at his crucifixion. And when Jesus appeared to Thomas and invited him to touch him where he had been pierced, Thomas cried out, my Lord and my God. That is no small thing for Thomas to confess that Jesus is God. What I hope this helps us to understand, or to at least begin to understand, is the doctrine of the Trinity tells us why Thomas is not denying that there is only one God when he says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. How can Thomas say that without rejecting the truth that there's only one God? He can say that without rejecting that truth because this one God 
exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The doctrine of the Trinity explains why Jesus can claim to be God and show us that he is God and not be blaspheming and not be leading people away from the one true God. Because Jesus is God. The one true God eternally exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And next time we'll talk more about how the Bible describes the Son as God. God bless.